going to happen from here, but I'm not going to fall off. So no, in Jesus' name, I'm going to fall off. <laughs> well, it's great to be part of a family of churches in Jubilee. We're not an independent church, but we receive support, care uh, from outside of Jubilee through our family of churches called Regions Beyond. And they really are helping to train us, provoke us in mission. And that's essentially if we want to build a biblical, healthy church. Also, as a church, we have the privilege of helping Regions Beyond. So next uh, weekend, I won't be with you here. Um, I'm going to be down uh, in London at Hope Church in Bromley, bring God's word to them, meeting with their leadership. And so it's a two-way a conversation that we have to provoke and encourage one another. And over the last few weeks on a Sunday, we've been looking at it, what it is to be part of our Regions Beyond family. What are the values of Regions Beyond? What are the values of Jubilee Church here in Hull? And today we're going to be looking at the value. We are here for one another's success. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to look at Philippians in chapter 2. And Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was in prison. He was going out bringing good news, planting churches, helping to bring what was often disunity, bringing people together in Christ. And he writes this letter of Philippians to lay the foundations to bring the church together. Because we found out, find out in chapter 4 of Philippians, there's a division that begins to occur in the church. And it's between two influential women who have fallen out. Uh, they're called Idaiah uh, and Sudishi. And it's unclear what has happened, but it's having repercussions in the church and conflicts are beginning to grow. And so Paul then writes this letter and he addresses it with this truth in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess under, on the earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We live, don't we, in quite a divided society, sometimes a divided city. We have the Brexiteers and the Remainers, the left and the right, Labour and Tory, pro-life, pro-choice. Guns in America, no guns in America. America, North Korea. Black, and white or red. Family breakdown. Communities and neighbours at war. iPhone or Android. That seems to be the biggest topic on Facebook at the moment. But we live 
don't we, in a divided world. And in our city, there is often at points some hatred, some discord, fighting, isolation. However, as human beings, we do sense and we want to be together, don't we? There's a longing in ourselves for togetherness, for oneness. We all want unity and intimacy. We're looking for friends who are loyal, trustworthy, who are our friends, not because of what we do, but just because they're our friends, regardless of our current situation and circumstances. Not what people want to get out of us, but for who we are. And the best demonstration of unity and a community and love and grace should be a united and beautiful church. Because God is wanting to create communities amongst the divisions and factions of our society in the middle of racial disunity, social and financial differences. God, by his Holy Spirit, is bringing together people that buck the trend, that are living out what societies could look like in this nation and across the nations. God's intention has always been to create communities of people together in unity, where his love and grace is demonstrated for all to see. And he longs for his church to demonstrate his love to one another and to the world. And here Paul is pleading with the church to come together, to be one in mind, one in spirit, and he's fighting for unity and togetherness. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together, as one for the faith of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Why? Because when the world is divided across class, finance, racial lines, there is such power in God's church. People from different backgrounds, from different tribes and nations, different languages, different circumstances, coming together, united. Because it's not just nice. It is powerful. Because the demonstration of unity demonstrates who God is. It demonstrates what God is like. Jesus, just hours before he was crucified, said this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, he's not praying that we would, the future Christians would all be dressed the same, talking the same, eating the same, thinking the same. Jesus isn't praying for clones, for robots, What he's saying, he is bringing together a diverse group of people. People with differences. People from different cultures and backgrounds. But bringing them together, not to conform them, but to celebrate our differences, to celebrate our different cultures, to celebrate our thinking, to celebrate our upbringing, to celebrate different ways of dressing, our ethnicity. And what Jesus is praying here is, that we had friendships that would be united, that would be together. Because a united church 
reflects the united Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when a church becomes disunited and divided, when it has its own factions and selfish ambition in the midst, then it doesn't reflect who God is, the God that we worship. Because we say one thing with our mouth, but our life says something different. So that means when people walk in on a Sunday morning, when we are come together in our growth groups, we go out to dinner with our friends, whatever we're doing, people don't just hear about our wonderful God, they sense him. They feel him. They come into contact with him through God's people, through us, how we relate to one another, how we love one another. They begin to taste what God is like. They begin to feel what God is like. They sense God and they can hear God. Now at Jubilee here, we are not the perfect church. Please don't join us thinking this is the most amazing church on planet Earth, because it's not. But I do believe this. God has used us over the past few years in an incredible way. Planted 11 years ago, we planted another growing church in the east of Hull. We're going to plant others in the years to come. We're continuing to grow as a church, continuing to have greater community impacts. Why are we able to do that? Why do we seem to be punching well above our weight? Well, I believe it's because of the unity among us, the oneness. Now, it's been tough at points over the last few years. It's at times been difficult work. But people have committed themselves to living together, working together, appreciating one another. And I love it. And I think you love it too. That's why you're part of this church community. And we need that to continue. And where there may be issues, to deal with them. So why do divisions grow up? Well, Paul tells us this in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit is the root cause of selfish ambition in somebody's life. Conceit is a root of rivalry. The word literally means vain glory or empty glory. Hunger for a glory that doesn't satisfy. How many of you have ever watched a Mike Tyson fight? Remember Mike Tyson? He was interviewed just a couple of years ago. And he had the reputation of being one of the best most ferocious heavyweight boxers that had ever lived. And he was the youngest ever world champion at the age of 19. He beat most of his points with a straight knockout. And he amassed about $400 million, that's a lot of money, because of his ability to knock out people in the ring. And at one point, he had it all. He was the heavyweight champion of the world, the most feared person on the face of the planet to face in a fight. And he was wealthy beyond belief. And yet, then he was sentenced to jail for rape. He lost every single dollar that he earned through reckless living. Now he's in his 40s. He's a quiet family man, living in the suburbs with his wife and two little kids. And he has this amazing perspective and wisdom about the fleeting nature of life now. And when he was asked in an interview... What drove you in those early years to work so hard and to fight so fiercely? What drove you on? And what he said, kind of demonstrating that he was maybe a bit more self-aware now. He said, what drove him was for a hunger for glory. He wanted glory. He knew there was an emptiness within him. He had very little self-esteem. There was an empty hole in his life, and he knew it. And he had an anger 
that drove him. That he had to look for glory, for people to roar and to shout his name, to be on top of things. He was glory hungry. And now, as he said in another interview, the interviewer came up to him and looked at the belts that he'd worn over the years that were displayed. And Tyson just picked up one and said this. He said, they're garbage. They don't mean anything to me anymore. Now, not many of us are champion heavyweight boxers. But in many of us, there's that drive for attention. There's that drive to be fulfilled. There's that drive for people to notice us. But glory isn't not the moment of standing in front of people with people cheering you. The biblical meaning of glory is weight, substance. You know, if you buy something that has some quality to it, it often feels a bit heavier, doesn't it? You can kind of tell if something's come from a cheap factory in China or something's been made in Britain. Often there's some better weight to it. That is glory. Glory is about having weight, substance, meaning, significance. And here is our issue. We all need to have a sense of glory in our own lives, no matter who we are. Glory means weight, significance, or meaning. We need to feel like our life matters, that it counts, that it's weighty, that it has significance. And that's what drives many of us. It's not just that maybe some of us want a career or a partner or a family or money or to look a certain way or to be recognized. It's that we want our life to have glory. We want our life to have a feeling that we are significant, that we matter, that we carry weight in this world. It's that issue. It's that issue for glory, that often out of that insecurity where division will come. Because it's hard to come by the glory in this world. But we try. But glory can disappear, as we know, very quickly. And Paul is saying, do nothing out of conceit, looking for glory or selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is where everyone is out for their own piece of glory. Because if your worth is based on the amount of glory you have in this life, you're not going to be pleased when somebody else is getting the glory that you think you should have. And that what leads to fighting, to division. And in church history, you see many church splits are not because of theology, it's because of glory hunting. I'm not recognized anymore. I'm more important. I don't have a role. So what's the remedy? What's the solution? If competition and selfish ambition is the source of division in this world, what does the solution that Paul points us to? This is what he says. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Or another way to put it, we are here for one another's success. That's the value. The value of regions beyond the value of Jubilee. We are here for one another's success. And that's the closest language we have in the Bible to this value of ours. What does that mean? It means we're not interested in our own financial situation, but also to the financial situation of others. We're not just concerned about our own time and our own diary, but also to the diary and time of others. We're not just to focus on our own emotions, but also to the emotions of others. We're not just interested in our own tiredness, but also to the interests of others. 
We're not just concerned about our own church growth, but the growth of other churches in our city. And any community with this sense of humility will flourish. We can demonstrate and live out this humility because of what Christ has done for us. Being in the very nature of God, Philippians 2 says, did not conserve equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always been. He's the beginning and the end. Coexisting together, giving to each other, serving one another, united and all receiving rightly glory and prayer and honour and worship and adoration from all the heavenly beings and now from us, his people. One God with position, status, majesty and glory. He is the centre of attention. And our God is secure. He is in perfect peace and joy and life. But being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God knew the mess we were in, the mess we had done ourselves. And Jesus did something that probably stunned the worshipping angels into silence. Their jaws dropped. Jesus stepped off of his throne as Lord of the universe, the Son, the one who had created the universe. And he took the robes of glory. He took off his fiery, holy blaze of glory. And he took on the flesh of humanity. He took on the meat and bones and heart and mind of us. He became a man just like us. He stepped away from his position and status and majesty and glory. And he moves away from being the center of attention so that he could be born as a man. He left his position of glory and authority and prominence and was born to a peasant family in the north of Israel. He lived as a carpenter's apprentice, the Lord of glory who had all the angels worshipping and adoring him, left that, humbled himself, lived in obscure life on the sidelines for us. Not a king, not a person of royalty, but born to a peasant girl to all perceptions, out of wedlock, a major taboo in the conservative religious village like Nazareth. He could have rightly revealed himself as that Lord of glory as he lived as a man. There was a time when he was transfigured while he was praying. That means his face, it said, shone like the sun. And his clothes were so affected, they became a dazzling white. Because that was who he was. That was his true identity. But he didn't try to hold it or try and gain any earthly prominence, or earthly praise, or earthly position. In fact, even when people tried to make him king, because they loved his miracles, they saw his healings, he got out of the town quickly, because he was a servant, because he came for our success, not his own. And being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He came from heaven to earth. But he went lower than that. In order to serve us, in order to see us lifted up, 
he became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to be sidelined, willing to be forgotten, willing to be overlooked so that we could have life and be lifted up, that we could find forgiveness. And that came to a head on the cross. He was abandoned and forgotten by friends. He was pushed out by his fellow Jews. He was scrubbed out by the Romans and most painfully by his father, whom he enjoyed that fellowship with from eternity. He's never known not to know the love of his father, the smile of his father, but in that moment on the cross, he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that? To serve us. Because he loved her. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Because he's about serving us, not his own needs. Even to the point of being punished and pushed off the face of the earth. Considered as rubbish, as scum. Why? For us. He became sin for us. And in Jesus going low, we are lifted up. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus was humiliated so that we could be honoured before God. Jesus was failed in the eyes of the world so that we could succeed before God. Jesus became lower, lower than we will ever have to go so that we could be lifted up to God our Father. Jesus abandoned his position so that now we could be seated with Christ in heavenly places. He became low that we might be lifted, that we had the privilege this morning to worship and adore him because of what Christ has done for us. That should excite us, that should motivate us, that should help us. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you feel the lowest you've ever been. Jesus became lower for you that you might be lifted up, that you might be forgiven, that you might know this relationship with the God who loves and created you. Jesus rejected earthly glory so that we could receive true, lasting, weighty, substantial, heavy glory. And Jesus did that for us. And if we are Christians, if we are in Christ, it means that we are baptised in that reality, soaked in that truth, soaked in this incredible act of humility, that Jesus did that for us. It's wonderful. It's amazing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting life. And as Christians, as we begin to understand the truth of the gospel, it changes everything. It changes how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others. So what is, as we finish, the application of our, that for us? It means this for Jubilee. If we are going to honour others, if we are there for each other's success, it means this. It means we're a people who take on jobs we don't want to do. It means... The church will thrive because of it. Are you serving? Are you giving of your time to help us, to move us on together as God's 
people. Secondly, we're a people who say quickly and often, whenever we've wronged someone, whether we've done it deliberately or not deliberately. Because it's not about them or their position, it's about the health of God's people. We're a people at Jubilee who won't be easily offended by others. Why? Because we're not concerned with our own ego or position or what people think of us. We're not a church who get offended easily. We don't have many toes to tread on at Jubilee. We're people who aren't sensitive. Sensitive people are often sensitive because they're more concerned about the fragile glory they think they should have. And then if people begin to knock that, it kind of knocks their, what they think is significant, their self-worth, self-esteem, and then they get upset. Because deep down, they're still trying to get glory in their lives. But let's not get offended. Let's love one another. Let's accept one another. Let's forgive one another. We want to be a people who are always finding ways to lift other people up, to speak well of other people. Are you an encourager or a put-a-downer? Do you encourage? Do you build people up? Do you give people a call? Do you send them a text? Do you say thank you? Do you honour others around you? Do you speak well? Or do you just criticise behind people's backs? Because you don't want them to have their success. We want to be a church that continue want to lift people up. We're also a people who don't always have to defend ourselves, even when we are misunderstood. How many times have you been misunderstood? I could count them many, many times. Each week, I hear things sometimes. I'm thinking, people have totally misunderstood me. That's not what I said or not what I meant. But we don't have to defend ourselves all the time. We will get misunderstood at points. It's your motivation, your heart, your action. But like Jesus, we don't have to go around trying to show what really happened, trying to defend ourselves, trying to say, well, this is the truth. Because what normally happens is that other people have to be put down in order for me to look good. Sixthly, out of my ten, we're a people who celebrate the success of others. If somebody does well, if they get a promotion, if they get some wins in life, if life is going good for them, even if they're the same things that you want in your life, that you want, then we're quick, and frequent to share those and celebrate with them. We celebrate one another's success. When somebody says, this is what God's given for me, God's given me a job. It's the first one thinking, well, I needed that job. I could do with a job. No, we say, great, you've got a job. Fantastic. I've been asked to serve in this area of church life. We don't go, oh, that should have been me. I do a much better job than you. That's what we don't say out loud, of course. We say it in our mind or we tell somebody else. But what we say is fantastic. We celebrate one another. We celebrate other ch- churches' success in our city. When we hear of salvations and baptisms, churches growing, we don't just think, oh, I wish they were all in Jubilee. They'd be much better off here, you know. That church has a couple of dodgy theological points, and I think, I think God's much more with us. No, what do we do? We celebrate our diversity and differences. And we say, praise God, that God is growing his church in this city. That's what it means to value one another. That's what it means to celebrate one another's success. 
We value, we celebrate, and we pray for one another. We're also a people who don't compare ourselves to others because we are unique and other people are unique. We celebrate who they are and we celebrate who we are. And therefore, we're not a people who are threatened by new and more gifted people than us. I know in the early days of Jubilee, I won't say who it was, but they helped to lead our worship. And do you know what? They didn't have a brilliant voice. Now, that was the thing I loved about Jubilee, and I still love about it. We're not looking for perfection, okay, in our serving roles. We're not looking, you have to be the best. But that person was using the gift that God had given them at that time. But guess what? As God grew us, somebody came along who could sing in tune. And that person said, well, actually, now's not my time. I want to make room for this new person to lead worship. And do you know what? They never led worship again in Jubilee. What was that about? They celebrated their gift was better than theirs. And they were willing to make room. Because there will be more gifted people. One day I won't lead this church. Maybe I'll be doing other things. Maybe I'll be somewhere else. But there'll be others that will rise up. And I'll say, actually, I need to make way. That's why I love having Dan. Dan is so much gifted in different areas than I. And I don't hold on to them. I say, great, Dan, you get on with them. You're more gifted than me. He's a better preacher than I am. And I love that about him. But we celebrate the success in one another. And therefore, we're a people who are comfortable serving even when we're not noticed. You know, sometimes we serve, we get on, we do a lot of work behind the scenes. Maybe it's not acknowledged. Maybe people don't notice it. Maybe they forget to say thank you. But we're serving Christ, not one another. And we're comfortable serving because it's not about our glory, it's about his glory. We're doing it for him, not for us. And lastly, we're a people who are willing to suffer loss in our own life for the sake of others. There's times when serving and giving and demonstrating humility means we do lower ourselves. We never lower ourselves to death on a cross like our Christ did. But there's times we have to do things. There's times we have to make way. There's times we have to make room. But we're willing to do that for the sake of others, for the success of others. Are we willing to show that humility? Are we wanting others to succeed? For some of us this morning, we need to repent of our own selfish ambition and conceit. We need to ask forgiveness for putting other people down, maybe for gossiping, for bringing division, for seeking glory, because we're here for the success of one another. And we need to ask God for more of the power of the Holy Spirit in order to bring about that change in our lives and in others. Can we just stand together? I just want us to... What is God challenging us in this morning? It's so important as we feel challenged, maybe even in our worship, as I've spoken, what is it that God's touched on? What is it that suddenly hit a nerve in you? What is it, you know, I know for some of us, we probably looked at somebody else and thought it's about them. And God says, actually, I want to look at yourself. What is your attitude? What is your, where have you been selfish? Where have you 
been self-seeking? Where have you not wanted others to succeed? Where have you not laid down things for the sake of others? I just want us to come to God first of all. Let's just come before him and say, God, forgive me. Let's just, if there's anything that comes to mind, let's just shut our eyes. It just helps us just to concentrate. Let's just ask God to speak to us. Maybe there's something that we need to just confess before God. Maybe there's somebody you need to just forgive. You don't always have to go to someone and say, I've forgiven you, because that's about your glory. Sometimes we just have to forgive and move on ourselves. Sometimes it is appropriate to apologize to somebody for the upset we've caused them. Maybe some of us need to do that even today and over these next few days. Those verses finish with this. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus now laid low, but now seated on the throne where he will bring every tribe, tongue, and nation himself all will come and worship we have that privilege of being counted in that number that know him as lord and for some of us god will lift us as we do that as we humble ourselves at the right time god will lift us up for some of us we just will continue in humility but when we face him on that day god will say to us well done good and faithful servant. They're the most important words to come from God. Not from somebody else, but from our Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. And for some of us, we need to hear that even today. God says to you in your hiddenness and your brokenness, well done, good and faithful service. God acknowledges. God acknowledges you. He sees what you've done. Just receive God's favor and God's gratefulness to you. That he loves you, that he's for you, that he's pleased with you. Let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you for Jesus. The one who came from heaven and earth but laid his life down for us so that we may succeed, that we may have forgiveness. Lord, help us to live out this Christian life looking for the best in others, looking to lift others up, looking to walk in humility, to serve and not to be served. Lord, whether we're in leadership or whether we're not in leadership, Lord, we want to be your servants. We want to give you the honour. We want to see others succeed because as others succeed, so we succeed as well. We want to be those who cheer one another on in Jubilee, cheer other churches on in this city. We're thankful for what you're doing. We thank you that your kingdom is growing, Lord. We thank you we're part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to finish our time there. In five minutes, please do and collect your children. Otherwise, please do stay for tea and coffee.
If anybody would like any specific prayer, uh, then there is opportunity. A couple of our ministry team would be at the front to pray with you. Otherwise, please go and chat to one another. Welcome one another. Say hi.